when you think of traditional mentoring, many take that teacher-centered approach on mentees like actions and that content area focus, whereas the student-centered mentoring approach that I propose is that it's more around the impact of instruction on students' learning. Hi, I'm Diane Sweeney, and I'm the author of The Essential Guide for Student-Centered Coaching and our new book, Student-Centered Coaching from a Distance. And I'm Brandon Lewis, and I'm an innovation and learning coach in Liberty, Missouri. And this is Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, where we sit down with coaches and teachers to explore how they are supporting student learning. Our hope is that through sharing these stories, we can all grow together. In today's teacher interview, we get a chance to talk to Rodney and Natalie, who have been a mentor-mentee partnership for some time now. It started when Natalie was new to teaching, and I have a feeling it's continued to this day. So I'm just kind of curious if you two would just introduce yourselves and let us know a little bit more about how it looked in your day-to-day -day teaching life to partner as a mentor and a mentee in a student-centered mentoring framework? Well, um, I'm Rodney Calise. I teach first grade at Heritage Primary. Well, we feel like we've been together for a long time now because uh, Natalie started as my student teacher uh, when she was still going to Truman University. So I'm going to answer some <laughs> of your questions for you. Yeah. Um, but she started as my student teacher um, and we hit it off pretty quick. Um, and it was a really good relationship right from the start. Um, we were really both on the same page. Um, and so it was really, like I said, really great relationship right from the beginning. And then uh, fast forward to the following year where we were lucky enough to hire Natalie as a first grade teacher uh, right next door to me. And so we continued the partnership into her first year of teaching. Um, and then here at the time, well, I think they still do it now is a two year mentor mentee program. Um, and so we had two more years as official mentor-mentee partnership. Um, and most of the years that we've been here at Heritage, I guess it's like, is this your sixth yeah. year? Mm -hmm. um, we've been next door neighbors for at least four of those years, mm -hmm. um, but still close friends and close, you know, partners. And we're not official mentor mentees anymore, but it's, I don't know, I feel it's like I can't still. do anything without her. Um, <laughs> and so, and I don't want to do anything without her. Um, so I feel like that relationship is still there. And I, I think the, I don't know, one of the biggest things was just, I, I think we were just lucky that we were just on the same page from the beginning. I mean, I think that really speaks to her as um, a newer teacher that she was willing to try really anything. Um, and she also had lots of insight to bring to someone like me who had been around for a few years. I'm Natalie Foley. I teach first grade in Wentzville at Heritage Primary. I felt very lucky, you know, when all my friends were getting like teaching jobs and, you know, I had had Rodney for my student teaching experience. So it was nice because I did know the school and, you know, I did have a relationship with Rodney already. Um, but just being able to have him my first year and even be lucky enough to like be next door to each other. That was amazing. Well, isn't that what real true mentorship really is, is it's a lifetime relationship. And when we all think about our 
the people in our lives who have influenced us. And also what you said, Rodney, struck, stuck with me that you learned just from her, Natalie, even though she was new at the time, new to the profession, now she isn't, as much as maybe she was learning from you. So it was such a, a true partnership. So I know kind of through word on the street that you engaged in some coaching cycles together as a mentor-mentee coaching cycle. What was that like? And how did that support both of you? I've talked to Amanda about this. You know, your first year teacher, you're so overwhelmed with everything. Like things you don't even think about, like, you know, like notes from parents, field trips, managing these slips, like just all that stuff. You know, like you feel like you're just trying to like stay above water. And the coaching cycle kind of makes you, you know, step away from that and then actually focus your time just on like a specific thing. Like for us, we did reading. Um, but it was nice because it was like my brain was like, okay, shut all that other stuff off. And this is what we're focusing on right now. Um, and Amanda was great. She was our literacy coach at the time. And, you know, she's good about having us narrow our thoughts, you know, and all those other things are going through your head. So that was nice for me because I know, you know, if I wouldn't have like made myself set that time apart with the coaching cycle, you know, I probably would have just been like, trying to survive and oh okay I'll think about that later but really it was impactful after doing it and very glad we did she was amazing coach for us um but she was really good about like Natalie said directing us um and helping us find things and also noticing things of course that we didn't notice um and helping just helping us along those lines and I think you know the student-centered aspect of the coaching um doing that a few years ago, like since then, it feels like our school has really focused a lot on student data and growth. Um, and I feel like that kind of gave us like a jump start and like a good foundation um, to the work that we're still doing now, um, even without Amanda. But I feel like that was like a good kind of kind of set us up for where we are now. Natalie, you got to take you got to pause from the the craziness of that first, those first few years of teaching, like all those examples you gave us, oh my gosh, I'm having flashbacks. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like parent-teacher conferences, how am I going to do those? And you actually got to really go deep as a learner because that opportunity was presented. And then mm -hmm. Rodney, I'm curious, what did you, how were you impacted as a learner when you were engaging in a coaching cycle with your coach and with Natalie? How did, what was your learning in all of that? Well, I think it's just great to have more, not sometimes you can have too many voices, I guess, but having the fact that it was me, Natalie and Amanda, I think was good that have, we had the coach and then we had the two of us that were in the classroom um, doing similar things with different kids. Um, so I think having like an extra perspective like that, so it wasn't just on me and Amanda to figure out what was going on with my kids, basically. You know, Natalie was there to help too, um, and vice versa. We could kind of help each other. So I think that was one of the bigger things, I think for me, it was just having all three of us. And, sh and so you're thinking partners to each other. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that alone gives you such energy. That, that kind of spurs your creativity a little bit. I think as a teacher, it gives you someone to bounce ideas off of. So that is so great. Well, I just, I know we're early in the year and I know we are literally, you are just creating community in your classroom. You're just meeting those amazing first graders who are probably just funny as can be. 
Um, and we all hope that you have an awesome start to the year and continue this partnership through the years. It's, it's really an incredible gift you both have for yourselves, but for each other as well. Thank you. Thank you. In today's podcast interview, we are so lucky. We get to hear from a partner of mine for many, many years, Amanda Brueggemann. And Amanda just published her first book, which is so fun. And the title is Student-Centered Mentoring. And so we get to hear all about that book and Amanda's work. And I'm so excited you're here today, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a part of the group. Amanda, it's so nice to connect with you and finally get to meet you. Um, I know we are on opposite sides of the state in Missouri, um, and I feel like Missouri might be the state that's been most represented so far on this podcast. So thank you for that. I'm kind of excited about that. Can you do me a favor? Can you share a little bit of your background on your work um, with Diane and student-centered coaching in general and just how that partnership came about? We met, gosh, at least 12 years ago um, when I was a classroom teacher and she worked with my district's team of coaches. And the really fun part about that was, is we had started using students in our coaching um, just like just fresh right at that time when she was, I think, fresh into her work too. So it was exciting to get to be a part of some of that um, beginning stages. Um, but it's also really cool too, because I experienced some coaching before um, she joined our district. And so I got to really see that difference of the comparison of different types of coaching and of course, students in her coaching is my favorite, which is why I'm part of her team now. Um, but then I'd say whenever I became a part of the coaching team myself, um, then getting to work with her uh, through that capacity and learn so much, she became like my mentor in that coaching realm. And then I got to be a part of her you know, consulting team now and um, getting to go across the country and train other coaches. So it's been an exciting journey. Well, we know as educators that you learn as much from others as you do from doing the work. And so be, Amanda, being on you being on our team has taught me so much. So I'm super grateful for that. And you continue to teach me things. So we're mentors to each other. Let's just say that. Yes, I couldn't agree with that more. <laughs> Since you have worked as a student-centered coach, how did that transition into um, the concept or thought behind student-centered mentoring? So that's a fun story to also tell, because I think I call it being lucky that I've been a part of a district that I'd say, oh gosh, we've been one of the fastest growing districts in the state of Missouri for several years running here in Winsville, which we're just outside of St. Louis. So with that led us to onboarding a lot of new teachers. And when I first started my coaching role in our district, um, I got to be in a couple of different elementaries and we needed a lot of support for our new teachers. And through that work, um, that spread to the mentors then wanting some support as well, because um, we were wanting to, you know, naturally um, try to support the new teachers since we were having so many of them. And I saw an opening for spreading that coaching 
net, I guess you could say, to the mentors as well and started doing coaching cycles with both. And I guess I would then add that that was a domino effect after that because it uncovered a need where mentors needed a lot more guidance. And as a district coach, I recognized we needed a lot more professional learning for our mentors across the district. So there was a lot of trial and error of professional learning support. And that led to some doctorate research that I did. Um, and it continued to grow and evolve. I tried out a lot of ideas that resulted in many of the strategies in the book. So given that you've worked with coaches for so long, with us as one of our consultants on our team, and um, also just supporting the, the coaches in your own district, how is this audience for your mentoring work different or the same? Who are the folks who you're interacting with when it comes to student-centered mentoring? Well, initially, I'd say the the book is primarily for an audience of teacher mentors or those that who work directly with new teachers, but it could be for any role that works with um, a new teacher in any of those capacities, because even administrators um, might also need to have some of that mentoring support as well for their new teachers from their perspective. Um, so um, essentially coaches can also take away um, a lot of different strategies and ideas from it as well. But I would also then say, too, it's something that even new teachers could take and learn from as well, because I've had actually surprisingly a few share that they, you know, took the text as well and got some ideas and examples from it. They just chose to look at it through a slightly different lens. Um, but primarily, like you mentioned, you know, I'd say those who mentor new teachers would take away the most from it. I'm so glad that you created this real framework for student-centered mentoring because we have for years been getting questions from coaches asking about the connection to mentoring and how to be mentoring, actively mentoring new teachers and how does that connect to student-centered coaching? And you have really created a new way of thinking about mentoring, not just about where's the laminating machine, but more about how do I make sure teachers are prepared to meet the needs of the students in their classrooms. And I would add that really the comparison of the approaches is essentially very similar, the philosophy behind it. Um, like the strategies take that focus of students first, like the student center coaching work. Um, so with mentoring, it takes a lot of pressure off of new teachers. I think if we approach them with supporting them from the lens of students. Um, and I also would say that not only does it take that pressure off, but then it really gets down to what's at the heart of our work and that's the students. So kind of thinking like your graphic, it's a very similar philosophy process, which you know I have you to thank for you yeah. know, taking that approach. And in your dissertation, I'm sure you did a lot of literature review of mentoring programs. What, um, how is yours different, do you think, from others? I guess I would say when you think of traditional mentoring, many take that teacher-centered approach on mentees, like actions and that content area focus, whereas the student-centered mentoring approach that I propose is that it's more around the impact of instruction on students learning. And it's that backwards design type philosophy in a way. I would say too that it's 
different in comparison to other traditional mentoring type approaches too, because I look at it as different layers, that it's not just, you know, we are giving that professional learning and workshops or training around classroom management and engagement. We're like really drilling down deeper into uncovering that instructional support, but taking it through the lens of students. So really analyzing that student evidence, going deeper into that impact that we want for those student outcomes. So like very similar to that coaching philosophy that you propose with student center coaching. Amanda, I know in my district, we we have mentors for our new teachers, but our coaching team still is is there as an extra layer of support for them. Um, do you feel like this book, Student Center Mentoring, would be beneficial for coaches to read as well um, to get more knowledge when it comes to the, the mentoring role versus a coaching role? I would say yes, definitely. Having the opportunity to take on how you can align your coaching and that mentoring support could be used, you know, parallel to each other. With that being said, I think if you have mentors established, like you were mentioning, um, as well as coaches, they could definitely support each other with the support that they give to new teachers. I would say take the opportunity to discuss and clarify that role for each of you and kind of how you can provide that support because it could look a little bit differently in one district over another. One of the strategies I actually talk about in the book is clarifying your role if you are a mentor or if you're a coach so that that way you can be really clear of what those layers of support you can provide in either a coach or mentoring you know, aspect for new teachers. It seems like in my experience, when I'm working with teams of coaches, they oftentimes reference mentors, but I don't necessarily know how much um, collaborative work they do with the mentors. So it does seem like an interesting opportunity to have a little more touch point between a mentor who's supporting a new teacher and the coach who's supporting a new teacher and get a little bit more aligned in, our, in their work, because otherwise it could start feeling very random to people who are already possibly overwhelmed. That's exactly what I was thinking, because while they are going to be meeting with their mentors and then also meeting with me, it's not coaching work in the sense of like a, a coaching cycle at this point, as we're actually currently in pre-service right now. I don't want to make sure that I am filling the role that the mentors should be filling. So yeah, the idea of potentially the three of us working together at that same time. Yeah, I, I never thought of it in that way. I just think there's be a lot of power in that. Mm-hmm. I would even add to thinking about our structures that we promote on the coaching side of how that planning of lessons and units, that is a perfect opportunity for you to join the mentor and new teacher in being as a coach side, you know, and like having that triangle of, um, I think, collaboration and it, it can be also done then in a cycle as well, which I promote a mentor coaching cycle in one of the chapters of how you can go deeper into that work, but you can surely use any of those structures when you're partnering with um, everybody all together. This brings up an example that I had just this week in a, dif in a district because I was working with a brand new team of coaches and they were saying, 
well, our principal is telling us we need to go help these new teachers with classroom management. And the district person said, well, that's the role of the mentors that we have in our district. And it was like, oh, really? I can I can move that off of my radar and I'm just and it and it it was just a lack of understanding of all the various roles and who was who was doing what to support teach new teachers. I just think this is really compelling to think about uh, make it getting way more clear. I'm picturing a triple Venn diagram, principal, coach, and mentor in districts that have the, the benefit of all three and really getting clear on that. It's actually fun that you just mentioned the Venn diagram because I was just in a district um, last week where they had those three um, individual roles, but also the new teachers for part of the work. And we actually did a Venn diagram of the four in a way to be able to talk about where does everybody, you know, have a part to play in our collaborative work and, you know, learning more even too, um, and kind of taking that approach too, so that it also showcase that new teachers get to have a role in the whole process as well. Um, and they're, you know, that ownership of their own learning in a way. So um, you could modify that in any way. It's definitely beneficial of time to discuss kind of what characteristics everybody has as part of the roles. So yeah, I mean, having clarity in your role is always very valuable and yeah. could save a lot of time and heartache in the, uh, in the long run, for sure. Yes, indeed. You had previously mentioned a coaching cycle with the mentor. Can you break that down a little bit? I'm really curious to hear about that. So that's part of actually what my doctorate research was about um, because I was thinking about how can I provide support to both new teachers and mentors in my district and not just giving new teachers that support. And so I looked at how then essentially I could just do a coaching cycle with both of them together. And the goal and target is still standards-based and from the two of their perspectives of choice and what their students, you know, need in front of them. But what you could do for varying some of those, you know, different ideas is maybe there's one target that one of them, you know, might need a little differently than another. Like I had a perfect example of a first grade cycle where one wanted to adjust how they did their um, sharing after the end of reading time. And so actually the mentor was the one that's like, you know, I, I know I can be fed up. And so that was the target we focused on, but the other targets um, were more the focus for the new teacher. Um, but then also still co-teaching with both like you would in a partner cycle. Um, we just might be flexible with when that could be. So like, for example, you might start off with um, one day working in, you know, the mentor's classroom and then the next day in the new teacher or vice versa, whichever kind of it played out with how the planning of instruction was going based on their student needs um, or even split half and half of a uh, like chunk of time during a day might even be that opportunity to balance that coaching. And you're still co-planning and, you know, doing all those parts of a cycle together. It's just the two of them together. Yeah, I like that. So very similar to like a cycle with a team, but then in those co-planning collaborative conversations, then one, the mentor is really taking on that mentor role in those conversations with the, the new teacher. Mm -hmm. yeah, fascinating. I like that idea a lot. It really connects to collective efficacy research also, because you're, you've got 
you you have these mastery experiences being shared. You have vicarious experiences being built out. Um, I'm sure at times, Amanda, but you probably make it so that the teach the new teacher can go observe the mentor teacher, and if if that's appropriate, which would be then a vicarious experience. So it's really builds collective efficacy instead of making it be like, oh, the poor new teacher doesn't have doesn't know what they're doing. It's way more about partnership. Hundred percent. Yes. And actually that's the nerd part of me is that I love the collective efficacy work. And um, that was part of that research that I showcased. And so a mentor new teacher partnership is a perfect example of collective efficacy in its you know, fullest. And when you add in that coaching support there too, that's another you know prime example. Um, but what's really cool out of those coaching cycles, though, as mentors and new teachers is they may have essentially gone into it thinking it's primarily for the new teacher. And so many of the mentors that have participated in them have gotten way more out of it than they even thought. And we're like, oh, if I want to do this some more, I want to do this again. I want to learn more from my mentee. And so it's definitely showcases how everyone can be a learner in the process. And I mean, I can't even tell you how much I've learned from doing all of those different cycles with um, both new teachers and mentors. And you really have the opportunity to um, get to like add so many different ideas into your toolbox as a, as an educator. So um, it is a lot of fun and they just, they, the mentors actually, I think get more out of it in a way than the new teachers do. That excitement of, of new learning and sharing that with others is so contagious. So I love that they, the three, the three in that partnership would get to experience that together. Amanda, could you tell us a few more strategies that you suggest starting off with if, for folks that are interested in just this whole idea of student-centered mentoring? I would probably start with that first one of using that student-centered philosophy, like with the coaching, um, thinking with that lens of students first and really using student evidence and all all the conversations that you can, analyzing student learning, um, again, taking that pressure off of those new teachers, feeling like it's always about them. Um, even though, like we know with the coaching, it can be a byproduct to change our habits and practices and honing in on our skills as a teacher. But if we're taking that lens of students first, um, it makes it more meaningful and it leads to a bigger impact on our students. And especially with new teachers, they get to be able to have that, you know, impact and growth sooner. And I think too, it's one of the solutions that we can possibly have to help retain teachers in our profession longer. Yes, we know, we know that we need to retain our teachers. Absolutely. But you said something, I just want to be sure our, our audience hears, because it never happened when I was being mentored. Student evidence is part of our mentoring conversations. That alone is kind of mind-blowing in a way. It is not the norm for that to be a part of conversations, which I think I want to circle back. You said in your research, you found a lot of um, program mentoring programs were very teacher-centered. You wouldn't be using student evidence, whereas this that that is a huge piece to make sure kids are first. Any other strategies you recommend? So I think the other one that I would also add on to that's probably one of my most favorite is that beliefs reflection. It takes that collective efficacy to a deeper level. Um, 
I showcase that beliefs are like the cornerstone to our actions, our conversations. I mean, we're all shaped by the experiences that we've had throughout life. Um, and I think it's important to really uncover those beliefs about how we can impact students in their learning and whether it's sharing our experiences as we reflect on statements. Um, I've got like lists of different statements um, in a couple of different places of strategies, or if it's collaborating just about how can we grow in our teaching abilities, it really comes down to that collectively working together through those ideas and who better to do that work with than a mentor. Um, so I would definitely say the beliefs reflection is something to have as a top priority so that we can really help build that confidence in our teachers. Yeah, and their identity as teachers. Yes, love yeah. that. And another strategy would be asking questions using directional support types. You mentioned earlier something about like just some kind of that physical type support, I would call it. I think you said something about like laminating or just kind of um, like where's the copier. Um, and of course, you know, we do need help with knowing those pieces. But I think that there's more support types that we can drill down to, but it takes asking questions to help get us there. It seems so simple, um, but yet I've been continuing to refine that skill of questioning as a coach and still feel like I can always explore what we would call the art of questioning. I mean, I'll never forget some of the times we've had, Diane, and when you were consulting with us and thinking about how can I make this question more a habit of myself or a bigger part of my language. And um, I think if you couple that questioning with the categories of support, which I talk about um, communication support, emotional support, and instructional support, of course, being those categories to think about, I think you couple those two things together and you can really go deeper with that support that new teachers might need. And everybody's gonna be different. I mean, it varies from one person to the next. And it could even be that you might go through all four of those types of support in one day, depending on what is going on in their classrooms or around them in their planning and collaboration. My boss has always had a dream of having a coaching academy within our district. It's like made up of like people who want to potentially become coaches, but are currently teachers. And I feel like student center mentoring seems like a perfect way to like foster future coaches because not only are they starting to work closer, like with you as a coach as in that mentor role, but they're also doing it through that student centered lens instead of the, the nuts and bolts of like the very teacher centered stuff for a new teacher. I feel like it's such a great precursor for them to have those reflective conversations with other teachers that's focused on student evidence. Is that potential benefit something that you guys have even seen the fruits from already in Winsville or other districts you've worked with? I would definitely say yes. It's um, that opportunity of like talking earlier about the cycles, but then even the other structures that we mentioned that you can do planning of lessons and units, you're modeling how those conversations based around student learning and student evidence can go for the mentors as well as new teachers. And I would say you're, you're right on the money with that being a perfect way to be an example of how you can lead into that perfect role of a coach. 
Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, just hearing you talk about um, the roles that mentors play for their new teachers and they keep that mindset um, student-centered focused. It has really got my wheels turning on how we can improve this in our district. And I'm excited to dig into this even more and, and talk to some others in my district about this and see how we can, you know, fine tune our mentorship program here in our district. And I'm just, yeah, I'm excited for what the future holds for this. Yes, and I'm so just excited because you're creating such support systems for new teachers whom we all need to be giving a lot of love to these days, always, but especially now. And I just feel as if new teachers come into teaching because they want to make a difference in the lives of kids and the way you're thinking about mentoring connects that. It connects straight there. And so thank you so much today for joining us and sharing so much of your new work and putting it out there for the rest of the educating public. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to share this. That's one of my dreams is to just make the most impact I can on education. And like you said, those new teachers, show them the love because we wanna keep them in the profession. We definitely need that right now. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Thanks Amanda. Amanda. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Student-Centered Coaching, the podcast, is brought to you by Diane Sweeney Consulting. For more information, visit dianesweeney.com. Music is brought to you by Clemency. You can check them out at clemencyonline.com. There you can find more information on how to download their music. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast where podcasts are found and follow us on Twitter at SC Coaching Pod.